Thanks for tuning in to Men for the Win, a podcast hosted by David Kufis and Dan Thompson, two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. Men for the Win is sponsored by The Grand Group with Edina Realty. Are you looking to purchase a new home in the Twin Cities area? Or perhaps you're trying to sell your current home? Whether you're upsizing or downsizing, The Grand Group with Edina Realty will meet all of your housing needs. Contact The Grand Group by emailing thegrandgroup at edinarealty.com or call them by phone at 612-817-8751. The Grand Group with Edina Realty, three-time Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine Super Agent Award winners. On this episode, David and Dan recap the Twins' three-game series against the Baltimore Orioles. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Thanks for tuning in to Men for the Win. My name is David Kufis. With me, as always, back in studio is Dan Thompson after a brief absence. He comes back just in time to discuss a Twins team that can't beat the Orioles. So they lose to the Royals, two out of three. They lose to the Orioles, two out of three. Now we have to go up against those fearsome Royals yet again, Dan. First of all, welcome back to the podcast. And second of all, you certainly picked a good series to miss. I did. I was following it. I, admittedly, I don't think I watched almost any of that series. And, and I guess I didn't need to, right? <laughs> no, it, not What at a all. terrible series. I, I did. It was weird. It was weird listening to the show. I did <laughs> listen. I was a loyal listener. So we got that download from Indianapolis there. Um, nice. I will say, uh, just a quick aside, Byron Buxton returned. I'm talking about my cat who was gone while we were in Indianapolis. Don't know where he went. We went outside looking for him, but he's back. So my Byron Buxton is back. The twins Byron Buxton. They sure could use him now, couldn't they? I don't know. Maybe. You don't, you don't think it matters? <laughs> I, I mean, sure, sure. He can come back and play. That's fine. Actually, I'm uh, foreshadowing a bit here because I do uh, I do have some questions about that a bit later in the segments. And I'm going to say one last thing. Dan did a great job, and there were a lot of moments of criticism that he levied against you that I would have levied anyway. So I think he <laughs> swooped in just fine. Should we? Do we? Ta- we're going to talk about these games now, right? Do we have to talk about this series? I, I mean, we better. It's kind of our thing. All right, let's do it. Series recap. Series recap. Oh, we'll start off with games one here, Dan. This was the sole bright spot, and honestly, it went about as textbook as you could hope, at least from a pitching perspective here. So, Twins win this one 3-2. to two. Barrios goes eight innings, gives up five hits, only one earned run with six strikeouts. And then that famous combination, Dan, that's just sweeping the land, the Rodgers-Robles combination. I mean, this was a good game, Dan. You just like to say that. I, think. I love the Rogers, I, honestly, Robles. It's just the best. I love it. <laughs> no, it was, I mean, it was a fun game, obviously, to win in, in extra innings, three to two, uh, in the manner in which they did. Obviously, Polanco hitting a home run late in the game, which is something he hasn't done lately. They needed that insurance run. And, and how about Robles getting out of that jam there in the bottom of the 10th? Yeah, that was great. And I guess one thing to point out here about Barrios, I was just bummed that he didn't get the win out of this one yeah. with how well that he pitched. And that's, that's just one of the things that's kind of silly about wins and i think we've actually had this conversation before that it would be more not more accurate i can't but believe I think, you're bringing this up no it would not be david you can't just give it to whoever deserved it that doesn't make any sense that's what no, you're gonna say right that's the most exactly deserving what pitcher say. no how do you because yeah. who determines that what do you mean who's gonna determine the most deserving pitcher that doesn't make any sense it's just the guy who was last on the mound when the team had the, the lead that's the dumbest thing in the world when you think about it because especially back in the days where you where a guy could only pitch to one guy and potentially get a win dan no this is better this is because this is there's no gray area here you just have yeah. the win or you don't 
I, you can't have the gray area. I don't think your criticism is valid in this perspective because I think choosing the pitcher who deserves the win would be far easier than you're making it seem. Like, I highly doubt if I put this stat sheet in front of you, are you telling me you're like, yeah, Rogers probably deserves the win here? It would require, hmm, if I just looked at the oh box score, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know exactly how the game unfolded. Hmm. If you didn't look at, you know how to read a box score, don't <laughs> I you, do. Dan? So I look, so you're saying that you would just award it to the pitcher with the most outstanding line? Of the night, like the most like crucial moment, like what if Rogers came in and struck out the side in that situation and got, would that be what? different? No, not mm. if Rios went eight innings and he only gave I, up one run. I don't like any time you involve, hmm, let me try that again, David, because I want to get this criticism right. I don't think it's a good criticism I, no matter how you phrase it, Dan. You can't have the wishy-washiness of human it's like this with errors Dan, right Dan, like who determines kidding? who determines hey, who hey, when it's an error or not you can't you can't have, we have a guy standing behind the plate every single pitch of the game dan with wishy-washy gray area calls and you're telling me oh but you know what when it comes to wins and losses on the pitching line no we can't have any gray area on that front that would just be that would be heretical when we're talking about baseball what are you talking about even the example you're just giving errors and hits are determined by the scorer dan i know that's my point i don't like that i wish there was some that's a better point way in my favor that's <laughs> a point in my favor that there's gray areas in baseball this would just be an additional gray area i don't that I'm i would saying, argue is more effective i don't want to add more gray let's move on what are we doing here this is you're you i don't want to argue about this anymore david um but the twins do win this game three to two, and then the series unravels right in front of them. Pretty aggressively, actually. It takes a pretty steep downward turn. Game two, twins lose this one seven to four. I just nothing. The twins, it was cool to see six, seven, and eight. They put up one run in each of those innings, but you needed to score more runs, especially with the opportunities that were presented to them. Two for eleven with runners in scoring position, Dan. And the and the Orioles went four for seven in, in similar situations. So the last two games, but especially this one, just felt like the situational hitting or the lack of it from the Twins was just on full display again because they had every opportunity to come back. Even when they went down 5-1 to one in the bottom of the third, they had chances and they just couldn't get hits with the bases loaded. They left 11 guys on base total. If you break that down, you know, kind of each player's total, does that make sense? 21. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many opportunities with guys on base. Just really frustrating. Well, and this one, I mean, we lost Garver, obviously, in this one as well, who had to have uh, surgery. But if just if you have a weak stomach, don't watch that replay. But it is, you do feel for the guy. I can tell you that much, Dan, right? Yeah, I, I feel bad, David. I don't yeah. know what else to say for that poor man. Yeah. So, I mean, this one, the Twins were in a hole early here. Pineda got through only three innings. He gave up five earned runs. I mean, they were seeing everything that he was throwing. But Dan, do you know the bright spot to this game? Is it going to be the bullpen? No, well, I was going to say that we had some some innings for Colome to pitch in, in which he belongs. Well, <laughs> when they're already losing by three. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess that is his proper place. It was nice to see Alex Kirilov get a couple hits in this game. It was nice to see there were opportunities presented by this offense. And again, just not being able to come through. And that, again, was the story in game three. And the Twins had quite a streak going against the Orioles. I didn't realize how, I mean, it wasn't as long as their postseason losing streak, but it was pretty darn near close there, Dan. Because they had beaten the Orioles 16 times in a row. And that was the Orioles' 14th loss in a row in game one. So that broke a 14-game losing streak. Man, I guess it could be worse, right? could be worse. Maybe. I don't know. Now they're rolling. Like you said, game three here. The Orioles win this one 6-3. Twins had some opportunities, actually. Put up a couple of runs in the eighth inning, and then in the ninth also had some opportunities, but just couldn't get it done. I'll let you you read it. I can't read the runners in scoring position. Yeah, 0 for 8. And, and what was frustrating about this game to me 
was that so Dobnek gives up that two run home run in the fifth to DJ Stewart. Bad pitch. Even Smalley's railing on him there about throwing that ball. He, he left it right over the middle of the plate. And then the Orioles put up three in the seventh. And it's like all of a sudden the Twins decide to have some opportunities and score some runs. It's like yeah. the, they had opportunities earlier, but they couldn't get the clutch hits. And then they finally get a couple clutch hits. You look at the lineup. Nobody's really batting well right now in this lineup. No. Yeah, it's it's across the board here. A quick aside about Roy Smalley. At one point, it was, Dan, it was the funniest thing. I don't know if you heard it. But it was in the eighth, and he goes, you know, the Orioles, they really got to be careful here because with this Twins team, you know, another guy gets on, and then he catches himself because he realizes how terrible this team has been offensively that he's like, ooh, ooh, maybe I better not say that, like, the Twins are just one (laughs) swing away. You know, yeah, this is not the 2019 Twins. This is not the 2020 Twins. This is the 2021 Twins. And, Dan, the Twins are not one swing away from anything. I don't know what Roy Smalley was thinking when those words started coming out of his mouth. To his to the point, though, I mean, Nelson Cruz, you're, he's your best slugger right now in the lineup. He came up with a chance to tie the game, and he just got, you know, he got jammed on a couple pitches and couldn't put anything in play. He looks old, I, Dan. He, he looks old, he and does. he looks like he does not want to be on this team any longer, well, like he most might, of the players. <laughs> he might not be on this team much longer, David. Well, I'm ready to go to Puckett's Picks, David, unfortunately, once again. Catch them all, Kirby Puckett! Puckett's Picks winner. My brother taking Donaldson proved to be the right pick here. Donaldson had a big game in game one, going three for four. Kirilov scored three points. Dan went with Larnick, and unfortunately, you know, to be honest... Well, it was kind of the Kepler strategy right here. I thought if I can get a couple of bats out of him, he might have been able to do something. He might have been able to do it, exactly. So, But the listeners will take the victory this time around. Congratulations to my brother, who is now... um, Well, he didn't win the last week, but he got the listeners back on track here. So now the listeners are 5-11, and Dan is 4-12, and and I'm still sitting atop the leaderboard at 8-8 and on the season. Beast... Versus bench. Is losing fun? Is losing fun. Should we start with bench, Dan, just to get it out of the way? or do you, do Yeah, I mean, it's it's Miguel Sano, right? I mean, in game one, he's hitless uh, with three strikeouts, three left on base. And then in game two, he is, what is he, David? What is he, O for Sano He's for hitless. Seven? He, uh, oh, he's, hitless. Yeah, hitless. hitless. Sorry, I get, I get for all the phrases. Only one strikeout there, but uh, his average is down to 158 after I think he almost got to 200 there. So Oof. he did come in, I guess, and, and pinch hit in game three, and he he struck out. So he, he was 0 for out. 9 in the series with five strikeouts. Nothing ends a Twins rally like a Miguel Sano at bat, Dan. Well, and then what about Beast? Yeah, this one was a little tricky. I think Donaldson is the obvious choice, and that's who I'm going to go with. You know, Simmons had a good series, kind of quietly so, but he went 2 for 4 in game 1 and 2 for 4 in game 2. He didn't play in game three, but I think I think I'm going to go with Donaldson. Who do you got? I'm actually going to go with Ryan Jeffers based on his one game performance here. It was strange that he's been down at AAA for so long. They've been calling up other guys over him, but it was great to see him hit that home run. And then he comes back with a triple. He was productive. He looked pretty good. And they're going to need him to play well here in this time while Garver's out. The the Jeffers pick, I'd like to mock you for it, but I can't because I do think it's a good pick because he only played in one game, but he performed really well. You know that he got the call up on short notice. It was just fun to see him come into the game and perform as well as he did, especially knowing, you know, he's got a chip on his shoulder, right? I mean, this could be an opportunity for Jeffers to potentially take the starting job. It's not like, Gar- I mean, Garver was playing better, but it's not like Garver has played well enough to, to be guaranteed this catching job for long term. No, well, and who knows how long it's going to be until he comes back. I tell you. Well, what about Rocco's Rewind? Any thoughts? 
Rocco's Rewind. Yeah, I'm just going to go with the phrase that I love to say, Dan. The Rodgers-Robles continues to be a winning combination here. Rocco is finding the times to bring in Colome when he's like, you know what this team needs? This team needs to give up a home run. Rocco knows who to call. <laughs> Rocco knows who to call. He's like, you know what? Get Alex up. It's time for him to shine. It's about time we give the Oreos a little bit more confidence. Let them hit one over the fence. So I'll say the Rodgers-Robles thing has been so fun because it's been so effective and so i think it's nice for rocco to know that hey if we get into the eighth inning and we have a lead these are the guys who i'm putting in in this particular order i'm happy for rocco that he has some consistency here but other than that what's a guy supposed to do dan mine is is just really almost a question can he still play center field i mean he's not <laughs> he's he's about the same age as nelson cruz right what, what, what what's to stop him from running out into the center field and just Play in there. I mean, they are so low on outfielders right now. So I was looking at the the opening day outfield, if you recall, had Luisa Rise in left, Byron Buxton in center, and Max Kepler in right. Did you look at the outfields of this series, David? <laughs> My goodness. I was trying to update our, our, our spreadsheet here to reflect the the strange outfield, and it literally got worse each day, right? So game <laughs> one, it's Garlic in left, it's Ref Snyder in center, and it's Kirilov in right. Kirilov makes sense. Glad yeah. Kirilov's playing there. But then game two, Astadio is playing in right center field. Then is Garlic, who hadn't played there, I think, since college. And then Alex Kirilov in left, which, again, fine that Alex Kirilov is playing, right? Yes. And then Alex Kirilov in left in game three. Celestino making his major league debut. Good for him in center. And then Larnock in right. I mean, just who could have predicted the outfield coming to this point? We've said that the last couple of episodes, and then each episode is <laughs> just keeps getting worse, Dan. <laughs> Every episode, it's like, who could have predicted this? And it's like, didn't you guys didn't you guys just say that last episode? It's I like, know. yes, it's gotten worse. It's gotten more unpredictable than it was when it was unpredictable last episode. It's crazy. So anyway, the Twins have dropped to 22 and 33, and I just don't know what Rocco is supposed to do with all of the injuries that this team has sustained. They just, I don't know what he's supposed to do. No, let's let's just keep pushing here. Minnesota moment. Minnesota moment. So I thought that Garver's injury was just symbolic of the whole season, right? Just <laughs> a baseball to the shorts, right? He's one of the few guys left on the team who's somewhat healthy. He's playing pretty well. It seems like a lot of these guys have been playing well, and then they get hurt, right? Buxton yeah. gets hurt. Kirilov gets hurt. That's Those are the two off the top of my head. I'm sure Kepler was playing better at the time that he got hurt. They have not been able to sustain anything. That was the moment for me. What about you? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Jeffers' return and the fact that he returned with a home run. Coming up that way, it just reminds me, we've talked about this before, but when Buxton didn't get promoted at the end of the season, uh, a few seasons back, yeah. and then like his first at bat the following season, he hit a double, and he kept saying, that one's going on the paper. And it's like, I think Jeffers is kind of at the same mindset, especially because it'd be one thing if those catchers whom the Twins had called up were performing even somewhat adequately, but they weren't. And so it's like, I think I'd rather have Jeffers up even if he's only batting 225 compared to these other guys who are batting 190. I mean, what's the difference at that point, right? That's true. And and the thing about catchers, I know when Joe Maurer got that big deal, I mean, we were hoping he was going to play catcher for so long, but having a productive catcher, and Garver was this a couple years ago, right? In 2019, the, if you can plug in somebody who's going to hit 
upwards of 260, 270 to your catching position, what a huge advantage you have just in constructing a lineup. So if Jeff, if Jeffers can come in and actually be a, a pretty good hitter, which he's he's shown a track record of being able to do that, maybe he's the answer, right? Maybe he's the guy longer term. Well, I do think longer term, even last season, they were talking about how he does seem to be the catcher of the future. Now, granted, to your point, like you said, the catcher of the future is not always as long as we would like it to be. So I think it's a fair point that you're making that, yeah, he is the catcher of the future, but how long a future does a catcher really have as it it stands currently anyway? Incredible to think like Yvonne Rodriguez for as long as he caught. Um, Mauer's Musings, what do you got? I just don't know how it can get any better. Mauer's Musings. I'm trying to think of how I want to phrase this because I kind of have two questions. So one is a question that I want to ask you directly. And one is a question that I'm just kind of, I don't know, I, <laughs> I'm being a bit silly here. Would we prefer at this point that Buxton comes back and plays lights out just so we could potentially trade him for a big haul? Or would we prefer that, you know what, let's just shut him down. Let's have a productive season out of him next year. Let him get right. I mean, what's it matter? This season is is virtually done. I mean, outside of barring legitimate history-making miracle-type runs here. This twin season is over, Dan. What what do you want to do with Buxton now, I guess is my question. Well, I want to keep him. I want him to play well because I just love watching him play baseball. Like, I want there to be some relevance here to the rest of the season, and he's capable of that. This team will go on a run. At some point, they're going to look good again. They're finally going to get healthy. They're going to win 9 out of 12 or something like that. You don't think so? You don't think that's happening? I just think it's a lot to ask considering all of the guys who are injured for them to all come back healthy. I just, I don't see a situation where this team will be fully healthy and healthy enough and productive enough to go on a run like that. Well, okay. I guess I'm envisioning this happening potentially even after the all-star break, right? Where they, where they have a lot of these younger guys get a chance to play because you mentioned Buxton, obviously, but Kirilov and Larnak have looked quite good. You know, these are guys who I think could be in the lineup. That could be your outfield. Maybe one of those guys is playing first base. Maybe one of them's playing DH because Cruz, I don't think will be with this team past the trade deadline. Seems Um, unlikely. So yeah, I I guess I could see that happening after the trade deadline, after the season is, is truly done. Like, like I've dodged your question though, David. Yes, you have. Very successfully. I want him to come back and play lights out and I don't want them to trade him. I still want them to sign him. I know I keep harking on, you know, the fact that Buxton has this all world talent. I get that he can't seem to stay healthy he's not what do you think what what do you think is going to happen with him I think it's going to be a while until he's right like I think last week was a little bit of a mirage when they're like oh he's going to start a rehab stint a little bit later I think we're still a ways out from that especially because it just seems like oh every update we get is oh yeah he's progressing I don't know that signing bucks into a long-term deal at this point is gonna I mean we can do it I wouldn't have a problem if they did it by any means but it's one of those things Dan he can't stay on the field. He cannot. And I, I hate when people are like, well, it's just bad luck. And he, No, at a certain point, it's no longer just inconsistency or bad luck. It's just he is clearly someone who can't necessarily stay healthy. And I'm not blaming him for that, but it's just one of those realizations that we need to, we need to sort of confront to realize that we're not going to get 150 games out of Byron Buxton. We're not going to get 140 games. We're not going to get 120 games out of Byron Buxton. As dynamite as he is when he's healthy, when you can't rely on a player, Dan, I just don't know what you're supposed to do with that when you're talking about signing someone to a long-term deal. My wife was already looking for new cats, David, to replace <laughs> Byron Buxton. I feel like you sound like her right now. Like you're just you're just looking to the horizon for a day when Byron doesn't return. He's never the same player. He's not able to stick around. 
I'm not as negative of you as you about him. He, I, I still think that he can come back and be, a, and he can be a guy who plays and plays full seasons. I guess he doesn't have a long track record of that. A I, long I just, track. He I just have don't any track record of that. Too. <laughs> I just don't think that it, just because a guy is hurt, I don't think that that is self-perpetuating in the way that that you are expressing. Again, I would so happily be proved wrong in this instance. Again, I'm not. I'm not trying to say this like, oh, he's a terrible player because he can't stay no, on the field. No, no, yeah. no. I, know I mean, I, it, a fully healthy Buxton, you would have to be insane not to want that guy on the field for your team. It's just one of those things where how many games in a season is it worth having a fully healthy Byron Buxton? How much money is it worth compared to a guy who is going to be not as good as Byron Buxton, but he's going to give you 140 games? Yeah, that's a good. That's a good comparison. Well. All right, so here's my musing, David, and it's long-term looking now because I think I've shifted my mindset about this team to be thinking about what is the 2022 Twins team look like? Who of the young guys is going to clinch a spot for next season, right? Yeah. I, I, th- I think probably Kirilov has that, and I, that's not a surprise. But I'm wondering, is there is there a Luis Arise kind of guy who's going to step up and play really well at the end of the season here and just stick around? Because that's exciting. I guess that's the exciting part about having a team that's not very good. Is <laughs> I guess you can look for the future. I don't know. Is that is that too? Are we, are we, am I too down on this team now? No. I, I mean, did you listen to me the last 10 minutes, Dan? I, I'm not I did. exactly I know, the most uplifting, optimistic guy. I mean, truly, I do think the season is over. But I do agree with you that that's what makes baseball interesting because you know that the next season is going to matter. And... I always like it, even when you're watching a bad team play baseball, you just take it one game at a time, right? Like you go into the game and you're like, okay, if they win, great. If they lose, it doesn't really matter as long as we're having fun at the ballpark at this point, because the season, it's not like they're making the postseason. And I look at this team and I think, you know, the the guys who are underachieving right now, and this has been written about in other places, are the guys who should be playing much better. You know, I'm looking at like Josh Donaldson is not playing as well as he should be. He's not getting hits Agreed. in clutch situations. Miguel Sano, we've talked about how he's just not being clutch. Nelson Cruz. I mean, this is this should be the core of your lineup. So it, it's just easy to be disappointed in this team for that reason. Um, it, it's not like anybody's having a good year really at this point. So is the hope that next year they can finally just kind of get, turn around? I mean, the only guy who's really having a good season was Byron Buxton when he went player of the month. And other than that, they haven't really had any position players anyway having excellent years. So it's a good question that you ask, especially considering, again, this team does not have a lot of turnover next year, especially as far as position players is concerned. You have Simmons, who's not signed to a contract. You have Nelson Cruz, who's not signed to a contract. Everybody else is coming back, Dan. Do you think, is this just a down year for whatever reason? Or do you think this is more the true colors of this team that the Twins should really start thinking about doing a uh, a rebuild here in the offseason? No, I think that they're capable next season because I think you've got a good young core who are seemingly going to get a lot of experience this season, and they've looked pretty good. Then my worry shifts to the pitching at that point because what's, what's the bullpen going to look like? What's the starting rotation going to look like, most importantly? It just bums me out that we're having these conversations in early June, David, when I thought we were going to be talking about a team with the opposite record than than the one that it has. I mean, the Twins have one job, and it's to keep things interesting until the very least Vikings training camp. It's a failure if you don't make the postseason, but if you don't even keep it interesting and the Vikings haven't even started OTAs. Yeah, I think that's called the 90s, David. I think that's what it was <laughs> uh, when Brad Radke and he I was looking this up. Brad Radke had the one season. Do you remember this, David, where he won 12 decisions in a row? They were terrible that season. I think they won 68 <laughs> games and he won 20 of them. Good for Brad Radke. 
I guess maybe that's what I'm doing now. But now I'm, I'm instead of watching Radke, I'm, I'm watching could Trevor Larnock get 20 home runs. I don't know. I don't know what to look for now. That's not a terrible. It's not a terrible prediction potentially. Well, let's go to series grades. Series grades. I don't even care what my rubric is. It's a D minus. <laughs> I wanted to give them an F, but the one game that they won, Barrios pitched so well, and the bullpen cleaned up as well. D minus, Dan, reluctantly. I'd give them an F if I could, but at this point, you know, truly, a couple of series from now, Dan, a one-win series might be a C for me. Like, Ooh, like that's the I know. Gra- well, <laughs> and so, and that that's interesting you say that, because my, my paradigm has shifted a little bit here, right? Where this is a D to me, because I'm not expecting them to win series anymore, especially after the way game two went. I thought maybe game three, they might even <laughs> for, this out. For all of the garbage I take for not having a consistent rubric, <laughs> you are on a sliding scale just as much as I am. But because I don't have the teaching background, all of a sudden, I get mockery when I take other things into account when I'm doing the series grades. You can be like, well, this is a little bit of a shift here, a little paradigm shift. No big deal when Dan does it. No mockery necessary. But if David makes one comment about how it was important that they win game two by three runs instead of one, then it's then it's oh, blow it up. He doesn't have a rubric. He's just flying by to the seat of his pants. My goodness, Dan. You know, I didn't think that was going to get as much of a rise out of you. You're, I, I'm guilty as charged there, but I think this is more of like <laughs> it's a new semester, right? It's like an, it's kind of a new course now, David, right? Like the class has changed, oh, right? The dynamic terrible. of the class has changed, so now it's just a little bit different. So it's a new new class, new class, David. I don't even know, Dan. I, I just let's let's move on here. I can't do this anymore. Puckett's picks for the Royals series. Puckett's Picks. The listeners took Kirilov, which is honestly probably the best pick he could possibly make. I think I think I would have taken him, and I think you probably would have taken him as well if he was still on the board. Absolutely. That's a smart listener. I, I'm, you know, I'm just now looking. I think I'd rather take the, the guys on the 10-day IL <laughs> than the guys in the starting lineup right now as it is. I don't know who to pick. I, I'm afraid to pick Nelson Cruz because he seems to be striking out in every moment that I'm watching with high anticipation. Josh Donaldson, at least he's posting funny videos of his manager (laughs) online. Um, So I I think I'm just going to go with with Polanco. I'm going to go with Jorge Polanco. He's looked pretty good lately. It is funny that you made the 10-day IL comment because truly, if you take someone who doesn't have at-bats, you have a significant chance to win Puckett's picks. Absolutely, absolutely. Which is just embarrassing, especially when we look at last season when it just felt like every series it seemed as though somebody was scoring some mega points even if neither of us picked them. Well, who are you going to pick? You're stalling here, David. I, I am, to be honest. I, just wait until I get going. <laughs> <laughs> look over there. What could it be? Okay. So, yeah, I am going to go. Man, I don't want to pick Sano. Part of me does just because. No, but I'm going to go with Ryan Jeffers. That's where my heart lies currently. I think he probably gets three out of four starts. Or maybe he takes a day at DH if they give Cruz a day off. But I am going to take Jeffers. I think that the way he's going to play moving forward, he's out to prove to the Twins organization and the front office that, hey, you guys made a mistake when you sent me down. Well, it's hard to argue with the logic of a man who's won five of the last seven series on this. So I would I'm, love to who, tell you who, that who, I think who's I'm, here to criticize, David. Who's here I, to criticize? I would love to tell you that I thought I was good at Puckett's picks, but I would never say those words, Dan. <laughs> I truly, I truly wouldn't. Well, I'm going to send us out, David, since it's been a little while. Yes, sir. 
Well, folks, if you like what you hear, please do tell a friend. You can follow us on Twitter at Min for the Win, and you can also find our Min for the Win Facebook page. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to be notified when new episodes are available. And if you could leave us a rating, that'd be great. Thanks for listening, and as always, go Twins. That'll wrap up another episode of Men for the Win, a podcast hosted by David Kufis and Dan Thompson, two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. Thanks so much for listening, and as always, go Twins!